Big shoes, big, big mouth, big deals. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket So, Gunner, Dave. Hey, we got a special guest star today. Oh, wonderful. We, we've had a great string of special guests lately. Yeah, yeah. And, and this one, um, this is like a blast from the past. Um, that, did you ever hear of a company called Ansible? I, you know, I feel like I've I've heard that name pretty frequently in the in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ansible, sure. Yeah, yeah. So we're very fortunate to have a longtime uh, uh, Red Hat person, uh, former Red Hat person, and now Ansible person, Justin Numbers, on the line. Say hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. I say so, Justin. This makes you a former ex Red Hatter. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In its own little and weird way. Yeah. It's like I never left. <laughs> and uh, you know what I like you know what I like the most about this is the the irony of uh the fact that uh Justin, you were my were you, were you my boss? You were my boss. I believe I was. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Yep. And, I, and, I remember uh uh stalking Justin at uh the Itzik show uh to try to get a job at Red Hat. <laughs> yeah. How'd that work out for you there, Dave? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I regret it to this day. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, every day is a joy. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I mean, it, I'm just happy to be back. Honestly, it's uh, as I was kind of joking, my social life took a big dive when I left Red Hat, but uh, now that I'm back, I can I can be friends with everyone again. <laughs> so actually, so before I, I I do want to get into some of the details of the kind of transition and like what it's like for you to come back into Red Hat or, or, you know, like you say, rejoin your friends. Um, but maybe first you should talk about what Ansible is exactly. Cause it's like, we hear Ansible, it, it, it's, it has something to do with DevOps, has something to do with managing a bunch of machines. So like, what's your, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah, I think it's, it's actually relatively straightforward. I mean, at a high level today, every business really is a digital business. So IT can't just support innovation. It needs to drive it, really. And the challenge that a lot of these folks are running into is that if you can't actually do these things in a quick manner, then you're just not going to deliver. Uh, you're you're going to have all kinds of challenges being competitive in, the, in today's landscape. And so the way we really frame this is that Ansible ultimately is automation for everyone. Uh, you can't, if you have a single person or even a small team of people within your business that are solely focused on automation, then you've probably already lost. Uh, really what you need is something that is, is easily and cleanly accessible by everyone who could be a potential stakeholder and, and everyone needs to be able to share and collaborate on these automations because only when you have everyone kind of on the same page and speaking the same language, can you actually get out of your own way? and start innovating and start managing IT the way IT needs to be managed. And Ansible, at the, the core value of there is it's just a, a tool to facilitate that. It's a, it's a platform that, that can bring everyone together on the same page in a way that is, is simple, it's secure, and it's, uh, it's extraordinarily powerful and flexible in, uh, in IT environments. You know, I, Dave, I actually heard Justin's eyes roll back in his head um, as he went into sales mode. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Yes. That was amazing. <laughs> he hit the play button. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but that's actually that's that's that, that's that's a very nice pitch. That's very clean. I like that. I, is the um, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like take my money. Um, no, when uh, but when you uh, say it, 
<laughs> hey um, when you're talking about um, automation though you're talking about uh, like a specific layer of the stack right you're not talking about well, I, I guess I should let you talk, let you talk about the kind of automation that uh, that ansible does sure really anything uh, anything in IT it could be the infrastructure it could be the operating systems it could be configurations on the operating systems it could be the creation of all of that it could be VLANs it could be virtual networking devices really anything Anything in your environment that talks either SSH or WinRM are things that, that Ansible can be used to describe. And Ansible itself is a, is a very simple language. Uh, it's written in YAML. Uh, it's just a markup language. So it's easily understood and easily interpretable and readable by kind of humans. Uh, but it's also machine readable. And, th and that's really the power of Ansible is that it, it, regardless of what your responsibility is within an organization, chances are there's a set of modules that, that will allow you to automate these things. Uh, but also, these, these automations can easily be moved from person to person, team to team. So if I'm a developer and I need to provision a, a quasi-production instance all the way up to the, the you know, nth tier of the stack, like I could do that in my own environment without having to go through a, a massive amount of effort. So that's that actually sounds that actually sounds pretty good. So like who's who who who's usually buying your stuff? Is it like uh, cool kids? Because uh, it seems like cool kids. Because like I see you guys show up at like the DevOps days and stuff like that. Um, like is it is it? But like big enterprises? Because I always think about big enterprises. They always use um, kind of name brand management or automation tools, right? I think about like buying a truckload of BMC stuff, for example. Um, yeah, and I think that that certainly is the case. Uh, mm -hmm. We. Well, like even stepping back. So one of the really cool things about Ansible is because it's so accessible uh, and because it's agentless, mean, meaning like we don't actually have an agent that we install in a box. We just ride over SSH, WinRM as transports. And the power of that is that those are already ports and things that are allowed in infrastructure today. Mm -hmm. So uh, if someone wants to start to investigate some tool out there, all the other tools out there require you to have some kind of agent running, which means root access, which means firewall rules and all of those things that kind of raise suspicion and alarm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one of the, one of the benefits that we've really been able to reap and one of the reasons we're so popular is that we don't require any of that. So you could be Joe Schmo developer with no root access in any environment ever, and you could still use Ansible to kind of make your, your life better. Uh, and then people can take the things that you've done and, and use them elsewhere. And, and that's kind of the, the basis of this. But what really ends up happening from there is whether you're, you're a multinational, multi-billion dollar company, or you're the, the mom and pop shop on the corner, we've seen a, a pretty equal set of adoption from organizations like this. So the short story is, yeah, like we're certainly the cool kids and used by the cool kids, but there are a great many massive, massive organizations that, uh, that are using it and even standardizing on Ansible because they step back and suddenly realize that Ansible is doing all the important things in their environment, regardless of how many millions of dollars they've spent on other tools. Mm -hmm. They realize that Ansible really has become a, a keystone or a linchpin in their entire IT environment because of that viral nature and because of the power and the accessibility of the platform. So what, what is the, uh, like I know when we would talk to customers about things like say satellite and we would say that, Oh, well, if you got, uh, you know, 25 systems, you want to be thinking about using satellite. If you got 50 systems, you definitely, you know, instead of logging into each system and doing a yum update and everything, do you, do you have similar metrics as far as like when people should be looking at, uh, you know, when they grow to a certain size, what, what, uh, uh, number of systems that they should be looking at for Ansible? 
Yeah, I mean, kind of off the cuff, what we usually say, I mean, ultimately, we sell Ansible Tower. Ansible Tower is kind of this big management framework that sits atop Ansible Core. I mean, Ansible Core is free, it's open, uh, it is freely available, you don't have to pay us for it. And so typically what we would see is once organizations have more than two people managing a set of infrastructure that has any, any amount of churn to it, mm-hmm. uh, that ends up being a good, a good fit for Ansible Tower. So, uh, so churn meaning you're, you're burning systems down and bringing them back up and provisioning a lot? <clears throat> exactly, yeah. So yeah. Uh, churn, the rapidity of change of the environment is pretty important. And, and that kind of, if you think about DevOps as a whole, Beyond all of the, oh, well, we're an agile methodology versus waterfall and all that, beyond all of that, I mean, really what it comes down to is churn. And it just so happens that agile methodology tends to create a lot of churn, which really necessitates automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in any environment, whether no matter what your, uh, your methodology is for development or systems management, if you have churn and if you have a, a multitude of systems out there that, uh, that need to be stepped through a process, Ansible ends up being a great fit. And I think that at a high level is why you see organizations, big multinationals that start looking at us because they have a big DevOps initiative because that's what the CIO says. Oh, we're going to be big into DevOps this this month or this quarter or whatever it is. Uh, They ultimately realize, oh, you know what? Like all this legacy, all this traditional stuff that we're doing and having to juggle and manage is is equally applicable into an Ansible uh, program as, as anything else. When uh, when we scooped you guys up, um, you're in the government group, right? Indeed. So, what was it like? Uh, was I mean, I, uh, Dave and I are obviously pretty familiar with like you know the operating system uh, hustle in uh and the and the middleware hustle and the cloud hustle. Um, what's the what's the, what's the space like for Ansible? Um, folks would seem pretty excited about it, right? I know you got some nice customers over at NASA and other places. So, um, what what are the government customers in particular looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the same things that big uh, corporate America is. And what really surprised me, I mean, I started on Ansible really predicated on one piece of business, and that was that, that NASA deal that you referenced. And, and so I was a little bit, like, a little bit uncertain. I'm like, all right, I know that there's been a lot of adoption of Ansible. I know that people are really excited about it, and they love it. I loved it as a, as a technologist. I mean, I might sound like a sales guy from time and again, but really I'm a recovering sysadmin. And... And as part of that, I saw the technology, saw the power in the technology, and I saw that there was just immediate, like, and widespread application across the U.S. public sector. So I took a leap of faith, and I was amazed shortly after arriving as I started to talk to folks and kind of look at our lead pipeline and the, and the folks coming in. I was just having great conversations. And these are folks that are, in some cases, trying to solve really difficult problems, and in other cases, they're just trying to get some simple work done. And it's the tool that fits them best. But ultimately, what I ended up seeing is I would say even when we're reaching out and we're at trade shows and whatnot, nine out of 10 folks that we ask, hey, are you familiar with Ansible? They say yes. And of those, probably eight out of 10 are actually using it in some capacity. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were paying us, but that's okay. So I think that, that any good open source project that kind of has a strong commercial backing, you're going to see... You're gonna see a lot of business out of those early adopters. You're going to see the folks that are going out there and actually starting to do real work with the tool uh, as they grow their uh, their skills and they grow their knowledge. They're going to they're going to grow the footprint of that platform, and as part of growing that platform, what they will also see is 
the need for some of these other things that, that we can present them and that we can provide them. Mm-hmm. So the, the problems that they're solving are really similar. They've got a lot of on-prem stuff and they need to get to cloud. How do they do that? How do they redeploy things? They, they need to do more with less. More importantly, they need to figure out how they can get four different contractors that manage different areas of their environment to all actually work together and talk the same language. Uh, and candidly, that's the foundation of this whole, like, Ansible is the language of DevOps or the language of enterprise IT. That whole story came out of the public sector. Uh, so it's it's not just the, the, the commercial messaging. It actually started in the public sector, and it, it happens to just work really well in the, in the commercial world as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know, you know, talking about, uh, you know, community of users and things like that, um, you guys are doing meetups like all over the place. Like I, I, there was one just yesterday in DC, I believe. And then yeah. at, at the Capital one building. And then there was, uh, uh, I saw like, there's a meetup, uh, Ansible meetup in for Cleveland. Um, it's like, you guys are all over the place. Yeah. We can really thank, uh, our, uh, another former Red Hatter, Greg DeConisberg and, and his, uh, community foo, as we would call it. But uh, he and, and Robin have done a phenomenal job of really raising that flag. So our goal, I think, this year was to have 200-some-odd meetups. I don't admittedly know exactly how many we've, we've accomplished there. But, but it's a huge and powerful community tool that drives not just Ansible use but ultimately tower sales as well because in order to be a tower customer, you need to be an Ansible user. And mm-hmm. so the meetups are insanely powerful if for no other reason than to just get people in front of other people using Ansible in a major way. Uh, and I think we all know as technologists that it's one thing for a company to tell you something, but it's something completely different to look at a guy across the table from you that effectively has your job for someone else's business. And, and to hear him or her say about what they're doing with the tool is mm-hmm. way more powerful. And so I think that that one thing that we've all certainly taken away from Red Hat in general, just the open source model and the open source community, is that community really, really does drive everything. And if you do it well and if you do it right, not only is your product going to be better, but you're going to have no problem finding these kind of public advocates that are more than willing to to advocate for something that, that they love because it makes their lives easier. Yeah, and and I think also with the community too, it's you get – it's not like somebody that is just they're buying Linux and they're using Linux and um, it, from an end user standpoint. But but with Ansible, they the the people that use it are creating things and then they're sharing their ideas, right? Exactly, and I think that that's the cool thing really about Ansible and its automations. I mean, you see a lot with with some of the other CM tools out there. There there are big communities focused around generating content to help those communities uh, push out configs for like a web server or something like that. But one of the really cool things about Ansible, admittedly, is just the the solidity and the rapidity at which it's growing, the community around even just publicly opening roles and and uh, playbooks and whatnot to do interesting things. I mean, I, I, every every day I'm having a customer call where they ask me about something that I'm not sure that we do, and I can look in Galaxy, for instance, which is a, a big public repo of roles, uh, mm-hmm. and I find a dozen. Uh, mm-hmm. Even for the most weird and esoteric corner cases, it's like, yep, someone's done it, <laughs> and you can grab their role, and if it doesn't straight work in your environment, then you can easily poke at it and get it to do what you need it to, and you don't have to stand up a massive infrastructure to do it. I mean, it's the the time that it takes people to do real work in their environments with this platform is is spectacularly short, 
And I think, especially in just a world of complicated IT, that's super refreshing and probably one of the reasons why why people like us so much. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. It's, as you're going through kind of all the benefits and all the, uh, you know, especially when you mentioned community, it made me think that like Ansible is almost like perfectly built to be a community-driven uh, tool, right? Because it's uh, a lot of its value rides on top of it, right? All the, you know, like you were saying, the the repository of roles, um, which gives a which gives a lot of like surface area for people who want to contribute to a community, because um, there's all kinds of different ways that you can there's all kinds of different roles that you could build and make the community stronger and uh, and, and broader, right? Um, and then also a, there's a nice opportunity for like the commercial support angle, like through tower on the, on the back end. It really does like check all the boxes on a product and project that could be community supported. Right. Cause like it's really hard to do community support on like high level end user tools, but it's a lot easier to do on kind of platform infrastructure kind of plumbing projects. Right. It is. And I think that the level at which we approach these things really is the perfect storm. So it, it relies as much on the vendors and all of their standardized APIs and command lists and utilities and whatnot. And often we're just tickling those things. So like when we reach into uh, OpenStack, for the most part, OpenStack is OpenStack. doesn't really matter whose OpenStack it is. Of course, we would prefer Red Hats. But the, <laughs> the end result of that is that you have these standardized APIs out there. And the end result of having those standard APIs is that it allows not just us to create a module, like a, which is something we write in Python, which extends the capability of the underlying platform. Um, it allows us not just to write that module, but that's immediately open source and allows other people to say, you know, it would be really great. We would love to have insert feature X. And they submit a pull request. We like it. We check it. We test it. And it looks good. So we incorporate it. So it, it's beyond just the roles. It's even the module components. And a great many of the modules we ship are, are all community-driven. So, uh, and that's not just, hey, I'm a guy with a job type modules. It's, it's major multinational corporations that, that make billions of dollars uh, in hardware sales, for instance, mm-hmm. have modules that they support because mm-hmm. they use them internally for their own environments. And they're like, these are super useful. And if they're super useful for us on our own equipment, then I bet you they're going to be useful for customers. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's just a really great amount of things that we can do in ways that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, uh, of, I think, what our automation platform is going to be capable of. And that's one of the huge reasons why collectively we're super excited about this acquisition, because it, it gives us the immediate reach that, that we need in order to help get that message out and get that influence out to a lot of these, a lot of these large uh, software and hardware vendors that, that normally would kind of look at Ansible and say, oh, well, that's great. We're going to wait until you really catch on. Uh, well, now, now they can't not listen. So what? Customers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so there's Ansible, the project, and, and the tooling, and then you mentioned Tower. What what is Tower, and how is that different? And why why would people pay money for that compared to using just plain old Ansible? Yeah, that's a great question. We certainly get that a fair amount. I mean, ultimately, Ansible core, Ansible, the open source kind of underlying project is it's open source. It's uh, it's community supported, so they're there without Tower. There's no formal way to get support on it, um, but it's also only command line driven. And while for a lot of savvy users, that's not really a problem, but the real challenge ends up being introduced when you start to think about the types of organizations that, uh, at scale, the types of things they need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a big one has to do with just control. So who's doing what, when, and where? 
Uh, and although you can get a lot of that, especially with SE Linux and a lot of those those constructs within within the platform, there there are a lot of ways to control those things, but there aren't a lot of ways to really fully audit what people do. There aren't a lot of ways to delegate access to credentials, SSH keys, uh, access keys for clouds or or on-prem vert environments. All of those things ultimately would need to be exposed to the folks using the automation platform. Uh, and Ansible Tower fixes a lot of that. So beyond just looking at the dashboard, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to be like, oh, but we have a really pretty dashboard. I mean, dashboards are great for the for the boss's boss's boss, but for folks just trying to get work done, really, what they want to be able to do is do things in a way that makes their life easier or their lives easier, but do those things in such a way that it are totally acceptable and if not uh, encouraged by by their leadership. Really where, where Tower fits in well are the, is the intersection of folks that are, everyone's automating because everyone should be automating, but uh, finding ways to then take that and actually make it available to a larger team, uh, a larger team that maybe understands Ansible, a larger team that perhaps doesn't understand Ansible. But the end result is that you need to control and you need to, you need to be able to ensure that these things are being run and done in your environment in a, in a much more sane and predictable manner. Uh, and although you can get a lot of that with smaller teams in Ansible Core, it's much harder in the typical construct of an enterprise IT organization to get that type of control and, um, and visibility into the environment. And that's really what Ansible Tower does. So Ansible Tower on its own really requires Ansible Core. Ansible Core is the, is the, uh, the guts of the operation. It's the heavy lifting. It's the forklift. It's the thing that does a majority of the work. Ansible Tower really just makes it kind of enterprisey and builds in the type of enterprise constructs that you need, uh, both in terms of just visibility into what's going on and, and control and delegation and, and all of those things that, that make the security people smile and the, and the business managers smile and, uh, and just everyone be able to access the things they need to access. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nice, nice. And I, I saw it in, so the first thing I saw was that, oh, Red Hat, uh, acquires Ansible. The next thing I see is that uh, uh, Microsoft uh, bakes in uh, SSH into um, into Windows, and I'm thinking, oh, coincidence. Um, but but it is like to me, it's it's interesting that now Windows is has like feature parity as far as SSH is concerned with VMS. Um, but how how does uh, um, how how is SSH going to impact you guys for for Windows? SSH, WinRM, whatever that is, and there are mm-hmm. a couple of other transport mechanisms that we support. Uh, the high level is those are just transports. So mm-hmm. ultimately, when you look at what we're doing on, under the covers, we're using SSH, WinRM, et cetera, as an actual transport mechanism. And uh, after that, we're shipping stuff over the pipe that we need to. We're executing either PowerShell or, or through Python or in some cases just raw SSH commands. We're doing all of that stuff on the side. That, that's all a separate component, a separate layer of the platform. So uh, SSH for Windows is great because it, it just means that uh, for our purposes, we could just as easily leverage that uh, as a transport for Windows as well as Linux. Um, mm-hmm. Fundamentally, we don't ship our own SSH. We, we rely on our, uh, on our operating system vendors to, mm-hmm. uh, to do that for us, which is also nice because it means we're not doing our own crypto. We're not doing our oh own security. Gosh, yeah. We're relying yeah. completely and totally on the trusted operating system. I'm like, you guys are really good at this. Like, I don't have any crypto engineers. <laughs> you guys <laughs> yeah. have a bunch of crypto engineers. But you guys have Dan Walsh. Like, that alone, right? <laughs> and I know he doesn't necessarily do a ton with crypto these days. But still, <laughs> it, it, 
uh, we're relying on on the world's biggest and most powerful businesses uh, ability to to steward cryptography. Like we don't have any business in doing that. Uh, so we rely on on what vendor or what organizations are already using. Mm-hmm. And they're able to piggyback on that. So I think SSH in Windows just adds another feather and a reason you should seriously take a strong look at Ansible. And it certainly makes the lives of the admins easier because uh, they don't have to open up you know, WinRM uh, or other or other Windows management ports on mm-hmm. their firewalls and infrastructure. They can just have one rule, and that one rule in their firewall allows something like Ansible to manage everything. Yeah, and and I think it's more than just the crypto too. It's you know it's how you set up the session and all that stuff of of uh, not having to pay engineers to do that and reinvent that for you makes uh, allows you to focus the engineering effort more onto the real value add that you guys do instead of reinventing that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the big reasons why. I mean, Ansible as a whole might be written in Python, and we might have Python modules and whatnot, at least on the Linux side and Unix side. On the uh, on the Windows side, it's largely, if not entirely, PowerShell. But uh, it, it allows people to just to speak the languages that they're familiar with uh, under under the covers. You don't have to learn Python to use Ansible, and you don't have to mm-hmm. learn any programming language, for that matter, to use Ansible. And I think that is another reason why we've been adopted so so quickly and why people are so excited about using Ansible in their environment. And it's funny, look at the Twitter feed. It's like, People weep tears of joy because mm-hmm. of what we're able to do. And we're like, we're enterprise software, and you're like crying because you love us. That's like, <laughs> look, I love Red Hat, I really do. But in in my six some odd years over there, I, I can't remember anyone <laughs> reaching out with tears of joy uh, over what we're able to do for. And that uh, maybe that's changed, but it's um, it's just phenomenal to see. It's phenomenal to see see how people are using us in their environments and the and it sounds really kind of cheesy, but but when we're able to give someone their weekend back, and it, I mean that's total market speak, but when an engineer who normally would have to spend two days deploying a really complicated application can do so in thirty minutes with a button click, like that's real. Yeah, like, that's, that is, that's a big deal. That's that means he deal. gets to go home to his family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That means he gets to he gets to go hang out with and have a pint with a, a couple of friends. Versus sit there in front of a terminal. I mean, that's, and I think ultimately that's what I love about Ansible the most. That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so wait, let's get to let's get to a really important question. Is uh, what what's the coffee scene over there? How's the because 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 the because the, 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 the red hat red hat coffee scene is like it's just, hit or miss. It's, it's hit or miss, and it's uh, mostly not great. It's mostly not great. I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to be disappointed. So like, what's what's the scene over there? So. Look, you know, it was funny back in the day, and I say back in the day, I mean, nine months ago for me, uh, we had, uh, we had a, a Keurig. Yeah, we had an awesome Keurig. And, <laughs> and uh, so it would do all of the things that you would expect a Keurig to do. It would short pour, like it would take too long to warm up. Invariably, it would run out of water. And so you always have to fill it up. And our uh, kind of backstory, our office in, in the, the American tobacco campus in downtown Durham was an old tobacco warehouse. And so huge, massive timber beams with bricks everywhere and really slow water. So like if you rolled up to the Keurig and wanted to, to fill up a cup of coffee, but you needed to fill up the, the reservoir first, like that could be another four minutes. Uh, and it was always infuriating, but so we had a guy, our, our finance guy, actually, a guy named Brian, um, phenomenal dude. But he, he is a coffee snob, and thank God for him because he, he called up a buddy of his who happens to run a little company called Raleigh, uh, Raleigh Coffee Company. And uh, so then we very promptly got a, a proper you know, 
pour in tap water uh, type brewer with a with a basket and a grinder and then these beans that were just spectacular. Uh, so we did a big taste. He came, literally came in and we did like a huge taste test of all of these different coffee varietals and everyone voted on which ones they liked the best. And he started providing big bags of those and taught everyone that we had like a lesson. We had to like, this is how many ounces we have a scale. Like we have actually got a scale. We have to measure and, and weigh <laughs> the, the beans that we use. And you get certified. And you know, honestly, I mean, candidly, yeah, some people should have, should have had to get certified because <laughs> you always know when, when so-and-so walks out of the kitchen, you're like, Oh man, coffee's going to suck. Uh, <laughs> Because they don't follow directions, but for the most part, yeah, for the most part, they they made it's almost like a flow chart. Uh, so it's pretty good. I mean, it, it's great. And then we moved to the new office, also in the American Tobacco Campus, but now uh, in slightly larger, or I say slightly, really much larger facility, probably four to five x the size to handle the growth. We uh, we have all similar equipment, but now our our brewer is water is hardwired in with a water filter to the to the tap line. And, uh, and we have a much larger grinder, which instead of taking like a minute or two to grind uh, 100 to 130 ounces of beans, now does it in like five seconds. Mm. So it's still, you know, I mean, it's high maintenance. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, it, it stinks when you roll up to, to the air pot to get a cup and, and it's out because uh, then you have, to, you have to make a cup. But you know, for the most part, it's, it's phenomenal. We, uh, we like what we do and, and the Raleigh Coffee Company does a great job and I'm glad for it. Now, that being said, I mean... I understand that that you guys, uh, at least in in my in my former office there in Tyson's, have uh, have some proper coffee going on. Yes, we do. Yeah, it's it's it does. It's not as highfalutin as what what you guys have, but uh, it's a nice one where you know you put the coffee beans in and uh, Starbucks, and it'll it'll grind them right there and make it, and it's pretty good. It's much better than um, some of the other offices where they have like the Flavia um, astronaut coffee uh, packets and or the. Uh, <laughs> Um, other buildings where it's it's not a tea bag but like a coffee bag um, and yeah it's or, or or what's worse is the whenever um, the, the somebody makes you know you have the coffee pots where somebody makes a big honking thing of coffee um, but you know the the coffee pot was never cleaned oh yeah and yeah and and then and then um, or you like go first thing in the morning, you get a cup and then it's like, oh, it was from last night. And oh, it's yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, don't get it, me wrong. Yeah. That's happened to us, too. Right. Like, you know, with, an, with a really good air pot, if someone made a cup like or made a pot like at 5 p.m. the night before and you roll in at 7 the next morning, because let's be honest, I covered government. That was a good time to get past uh, to get past people. But the um, <laughs> Like grabbing a cup and knowing that you're it's the first one and kind of making the decision. Well, is it okay? It might be twelve hours old. I'm not really sure, but eh. still not too bad. So where do, where do you sit on the? Uh, uh, so recently, no, now working out of this new house, I got a actually got a fancy new Swedish coffee maker, which I'm really pleased with. Uh, we can talk more about that at length if you like. But um, uh, now that I'm making pots of coffee for myself instead of the little like uh, one hit cut uh, AeroPress uh, coffee. Uh, I'm now confronted with the question of, can I reheat this coffee? Like, can I put this in the microwave? And I've actually, I've found that actually microwaving the coffee does not, I don't know, what, I don't know if it's the water or the beans or what, but I, uh, it seems to be working out okay for me. But like, what about you? Are you a, are you a microwaver? Never. Uh, in fact, I am, I am quite the opposite. I really do not like hot beverages. I know Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory would, would spit upon me for saying as such, but, um, I, 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm a iced coffee guy. So mm. sometimes I drink it totally black if it's a if it's a really kind of nice and not too bitter uh, roast. Um, sometimes I splash just a little bit of milk to make it look like kind of like a muddy milk puddle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't like a ton of milk, but the um, yeah I not a huge fan not a huge fan of hot beverages. So I, I don't microwave myself, but all right but, uh, I don't know. Okay, good. All right, I'll mark you down as no. Okay. <laughs> Spreadsheet has been updated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's it's more about the caffeine uh, than it's like, all right, I'll microwave it. I'm not going to be like a total snob and have the air press and, and all that. Um, but I, I still, I'll draw the line at, you know, Maxwell House or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Every, everyone's got to have their standards there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've definitely said no before. They're like, would you like? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> Well, awesome. So, uh, uh, so Justin, um, so how do folks get started with Ansible? Like if I know, if I know zero, this should be helpful to a lot of the red hatters. I think like if, if I'm, if I'm at zero with Ansible, how do I, where do I, where do I plug in? Great question. I mean, the good news is, and it's funny, half the time I say I'm a sales guy, the other half of the time I say I'm an an engineer. Uh, so it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but I'm like, Oh, well I did this whole demo in like half a day, but in all seriousness, like, um, as a guy who is who is not banging on a keyboard every day, uh, I was able to build a pretty sophisticated demonstration in like half a day. Uh, so thankfully, anyone who's out there that's thinking and concerned that, oh, well, I just don't have time. Like I don't have time to look at Ansible. I don't have time to use Ansible. Well, as it turns out, you're exactly who Ansible is for and you're exactly who Ansible was built and created for. So um, we've got a, a section of our website called the Quick Start Guide. It's ansible.com slash get-started. Um, in the menu browser or the, the actual navigation menu, I believe it's called the Quick Start Guide. Uh, and it's just a bunch of really simple steps. So we've got a number of, uh, of webcasts that we've pre-recorded that you can sit through. We've got a couple of zero to 100. So I have zero hosts being managed by Ansible. I want to have 100 hosts. How do I get there? Uh, and then we've just got a bunch of great content. Our, our documentation around Ansible is phenomenal. Uh, our uh, we've got a great Ansible examples project within our our larger GitHub uh, environment that is freely available and open to everyone. That with one button click uh, in an environment, you could provision an entire uh, three tier LAMP stack, for instance. So there's a ton of resources out there uh, to get you started. But really, start with the Ansible.com/slash/get-started and. Uh, and then follow some of those steps. Um, and then certainly, you know, we're we're always listening at info at ansible.com and support at uh, ansible.com. Happy to assist and help. I mean, ultimately, Ansible users make us all look good. And uh, and we're here to just support folks. As awesome. Awesome. Uh, Justin, man, thanks for thanks for taking the time out. Um, yeah, I know you're you're uh, I know you're awful busy, you know, uh, counting your pile of money. Uh, from the acquisition. <laughs> Surely you guess. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I am actually, I'm very excited about this. Uh, I'm very excited about the acquisition. Um, and I'm m- even more excited than about the technology. Uh, I am excited about uh, having all our friends back. Uh, it's mm-hmm. great. we got Greg, Robin, you. It's just awesome. I'm really excited. It really is. I mean, it. I, I must have a hundred emails in my inbox right now from from former red or well, current red hatters that were welcoming me back into the fold, and it feels great. I mean, the one thing I've always said, uh, red hat as just a culture is is fantastic and amazing, and there are just so many great and wonderful people there. And I, 
I could not possibly be more excited to, uh, to be back home. Nice. So, so, uh, so we, we talked a lot about uh, coffee. We talked about Microsoft and SSH and Ansible and everything. Where, where should we send people uh, to learn more about all of these topics? You know, I'm told that uh, dgshow.org uh, is a great resource to go to. That's DG is in Dave and Gunner. Mm-hmm. Dot, uh, uh, O-R-G. Excellent. Okay. Well, well, thanks a lot, uh, Justin, for, for joining us. This is really exciting. And, and just to echo Gunnar's sentiment as well as I'm, I'm excited to have you back and look forward to working with you more. You two are some of my most favorite people in all of the world. You hear that, oh. Dave? You hear that, I love Dave? you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I seriously believe you. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh,